Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. You might think that abuses in the workplace mostly happen to lower level workers. People with easily replaceable jobs, lower salaries, and less education and support to fight back against the inequity. And while these populations are definitely more vulnerable, mistreatment doesn't just stop with them. And our next guest is a great reminder of that. Hi, everybody. I'm Natasha. I am a born and raised New Yorker, and I still live in Manhattan today with my dog, Jack. I was raised by a single immigrant mom. My mom was my rock. She immigrated to the States from Haiti on an asylum visa during the baby doc years in Haiti. Mm. She went to college in New York and nursing school in New York and essentially worked to the bone, like three jobs until I went to college. I definitely owe my mom everything that I am. She passed away some years ago, but she's definitely one of my greatest influences. I'm an attorney by trade. Mm. I've been practicing for the last 10 years. I am traditionally a litigation attorney, which means that I'm a, an attorney who goes to court and argues in court. But I like to say that being a lawyer is not my identity, but just a way of thinking and looking at the world. So I am trained to see, identify, and you know, mitigate risk around me. But being a lawyer is not all that I am. You know, it's not all that I do. And, you know, I contain multitudes. Do you feel like your background and the way that your mother came to the States, do you feel like that has something to do with you choosing that path? I think most definitely it does. I definitely went into law because I wanted to kind of empower the community that I came from. I think most people would say that Haitians are very disenfranchised from the law and very disconnected and afraid of it in some ways. And I wanted to be able to make the law accessible and navigatable for the people who don't necessarily understand it. So definitely people coming from other countries and other cultures and with other languages. So that was like my prime motivation in becoming a lawyer. But I didn't always want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wanted to be an archaeologist oh, yeah. <laughs> um, before I got to law. But I think what the turning point for me was 
for example, I was fortunate to have attended Cornell University for my undergrad years and Ooh. then the esteemed Howard University School of Law for law school. Very good. So having, you know, had two of the, I'd say, the best educational experiences from perhaps two philosophically different singular institutions, the PWI and the HBCU, it's definitely shaped my frame of mind and approach in corporate America, in the legal field. And I think the turning point for me when I was in college and how I ended up being pre-law and then pursuing law was when I got to work on the Hill. I did a program at Cornell called Cornell in Washington. I did the summer program, but they do have an option to do a in-semester program. Ooh. I did that. I interned on the Hill for a senator that many of us all know. <laughs> His name is Joseph Biden. Oh, <laughs> I think I know who that might be, maybe. Yeah, it may sound familiar. You may not catch it right away. but um, And doing work in that office kind of really, that's what kind of linked me to constituents mm -hmm. and listening to people, listening to their issues, to the things that concern them. And that was like the motivating factor for me to get interested in public policy and get interested in how our lawmakers decisions affect our everyday lives. And that's really, for me, my big thing is I'm a people person mm -hmm. and I like to connect with people and I love problem solving and helping people. And that was just kind of like the defining moment where I came back from that summer program and I was like, I want to help people. Like, I want to go to law school. I want to be able to write laws and help people and make people's lives better. And then I recently moved into the in-house and nonprofit world. My last job was at a very popular animal welfare nonprofit. You know the one, Orange Branding, sad Sarah McLaughlin song. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, I see that every day. <laughs> and so I worked there and that for me was a dream job. That was my first kind of like transition into the nonprofit space. And it was a dream job because as I mentioned, I grew up always dreaming of being a veterinarian. But, you know, the sciences weren't necessarily my ministry. Yeah. <laughs> and so this seemed like a really great way to kind of combine my love for animals with my legal training. Right. Yeah. And I was charged with pursuing animal cruelty cases in the city. You know, so it's a noble cause. It's easy to get behind. I'm a big animal lover. So win, win, win all around. It was very much a corporate job. And in that space, it was also very, very homogenous. So the majority of leadership was white. In the legal department, there was perhaps one Latina attorney and one Asian attorney and me. So I certainly was and felt like a speck of pepper in a sea of salt. And that was very... While it's not, you know, uncommon in the United States, in many workplaces, it was foreign to me, particularly because it was very, very soon after the George Floyd era. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of envisioned that most companies and most corporate entities would have done all the performative things. You know, they would yeah. have hired, they would have amplified somebody of color in some Ooh. kind of leadership position. They would have, you know, hired more BIPOC folks to just be visible in the office as their sort of demonstration of diversity. But that wasn't necessarily the space I was in. Okay, so one of my thoughts was, do folks of color care about animals in this way? So here's my take on it. And let me be clear, legal wasn't very 
diverse, but there were definitely people of color working at the organization. It's a big organizational, it's nationwide, but those people of color tend to be few and far in between, or they're working in service roles. Right. Now, I understand that the animal welfare space is white. And there's, that's for a few reasons. The reasons why it's white is first, based on the history of the United States, based on the history of this country. Up until about the 1860s, people of color were considered property and property could not own property. Right. Which is what animals are in the eyes of the law. They are property. Ooh. So I think that BIPOC communities are really operating at a deficit when it comes to animal care and animal and veterinary access and education on how animals should be cared for. Right. Upstate fields and forests and whatever, and you know, white people have a history and a long tradition of animal ownership and pet care, whereas people of color are really just starting out in the 20th century. Right. So those are all the things that come to mind even before I took this job. And I really saw my work and my goal working at that organization as an opportunity to just educate animal owners and communities of color on other practices and approaches to pet care, to animal breeding, to vet care. And that's really was my goal in taking that role. And to identify gaps in tradition and culture that maybe the organization might have overlooked mm -hmm. in their policymaking. You feel like they knew that information that you just spit to us? Do you feel like that was widely known in that organization? If they do know about the background, I don't think they consider it, considering that everybody who's in a position to make decisions at that place is white. Mm -hmm. So I think anybody of color can attest that it's hard to get somebody white to have buy-in to what your experience is. They will never fully understand what it feels like. I think... They didn't know it and they didn't want to know it, but they did know that my goal was to kind of fill in some gaps, cultural gaps, understandings of people of color. They did know that that, that was something that was important to me and something that I wanted to do. It was something I explicitly stated in my interview. Mm. It was certainly a, I'll say, misalignment of values being there. My team was pretty small. I worked just for one manager with one coworker and it felt and seemed apparent to me from almost from the very beginning that they were very, very threatened by me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of my appearance. I don't know if it's because of my approach. I tend to be pretty outspoken. I'm not somebody who's going to just kind of drink the Kool-Aid and mm -hmm. do just do what I'm told and kind of keep my head down. Although I do know that that's generally <laughs> the approach for many people of color in the corporate right. workplace. I mean, I was doing all the other side things like, you know, I was doing code switching and the all the inherent changes that we feel we have to make for ourselves to make ourselves small and make ourselves palatable to our white colleagues. I was doing all of that markedly so, but I wasn't keeping my opinions to myself by any means. And so I wanted to be able to work in a place where I could express my opinions and give my viewpoint freely and openly, and that was not received well. So at what point in that almost two years did you start to feel like you being you was a big problem? About three months in. I think most people will say, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts, right? So right. there's never one single thing. And the problem with like, you know, employment cases or things like that is like, everyone knows what it feels like when they're being treated differently, when they're being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. But having that in a quantifiable kind of way 
is hard to do. You know, mm -hmm. there are a few definitely microaggressions that I experience, and that's fine. And most, I think, people of color do experience those in a corporate workplace from my experience of the people I know. <laughs> Many people experience them. Yeah. Maybe about three months in, I had a, another manager from a law enforcement agency that we work with frequently criticize an email of mine saying that my tone was intimidating and aggressive. On email? Right. So what tone would that be? So, oh of course, that sort of language is kind of inflammatory mm. to me. I definitely was very triggered by it. I did not feel okay with it. And so I went to my manager and I shared the email and my feelings about it. And she sort of dismissed it. She essentially said, I'm going to go speak to this person. I have another call with them scheduled. I'm not going to bring it up specifically, but if they bring it up, I will hear this person out and hear what they have to say. Mm -hmm. Not even share my viewpoint, just hear what they have to say about it. So apparently they did have a conversation about it. I was not part of that conversation. I was not privy to what was shared in that conversation. But the feedback that I got from my manager was, well, when you're interacting with this entity, we need to approach it with deference and we have a longstanding relationship with them and essentially we need them. So you have to eat it. And that to me felt dismissive. It felt like my manager certainly didn't have my back. I remember feeling that day so incensed that I really wanted to quit that day. And I didn't for all the reasons that many people don't quit. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I was angry about it for quite some time. And I then after became extremely uncomfortable having to interact with that other manager that I had to interact with frequently. And I just felt from the beginning that my manager just didn't support me. And where do you go with that? When that feeling, <laughs> you know, I think I can look back now and say I should have, could have and all those things, but I don't think that that is helpful. <laughs> I think I should have gone to HR or had like, you know, try to go through other channels to document both my feelings and the response to my feelings. Mm -hmm. But I didn't go there. I kind of was like, okay, let me let some time pass. Let me try to, you know, I probably had more of a pattern of self-blaming than anything. Mm -hmm. My feedback in my reviews would be that I need to take a communication class. I need to take a writing class. What, pray tell, is a communication class? I'm waiting for somebody to tell me. What? Um, yeah, and so it was like small ways that slowly sort of chipped at my confidence. Right. And bits of feedback that I had never received in any other work setting to kind of diminish my way of being and make me question myself. I remember I had, there was a Zoom meeting that I did for a particular presentation that we had to do. And I didn't say anything on the Zoom meeting. Like I didn't have anything to add. It was more of like a planning session for the presentation. This is one of my manager's, you know, objectives for the year. This wasn't really my thing, but you know, I had to be part of it. It was a meeting with about five people, including another newly hired attorney who worked remote, male, white, my colleague, my manager, and another person from another department who were sort of spearheading the planning of this thing that I had to present at. I don't have any decision-making capacity. And the only thing I said in this entire meeting, and I think it was about 30 minutes or 40 minutes, was they asked if we should have sort of like a piece of mock evidence, like a demonstrative. And I said, I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other, whatever, you know, the majority consensus decides I'm fine with. Mm -hmm. And the other attorney, the new attorney was also like, yeah, I feel the same. I don't have anything. Call ends. 
I get a call from my manager the following day saying that a Zoom call asking me if everything was okay because I just seemed really angry on the call. Oh my gosh, leave me alone. In my mind, I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm fine. Like I'm angry. Like I I didn't say anything. So how could you possibly perceive that I was angry? Right. Like <laughs> this is your thing, your presentation. Like it doesn't really matter whether I want to do it or don't want to do it or whatever. Like we're doing it, <laughs> you know? Right. I was so thrown off by that type of feedback from like not saying anything. And I think many women of color have experienced that feeling of like, you're like, I don't say anything. I'm standing still. I'm sitting still on the Zoom and somebody is like essentially accusing you of being like an angry black woman. Yeah. Whether it be your face or your expression, like, do I have to smile like a Barnum Bailey clown? For you to think that I'm fine, you know, I don't know what affect they were expecting, but like, I literally said four words. Yeah. And from that, I got an entire separate phone call, Zoom call. Is it required that I say something? Right. I didn't know that that was the rules. Yeah. So it was little things like that. It was like, you need a communication class. You need to work on your communication without any actionable steps on what that meant. Which is wild. You've gone to law school. Do people, just for audience sake, like the amount of communication training you get in law school. Not to mention, it was in direct contravention to all the other stuff that I was doing. I had to give presentations regularly on behalf of that organization all across the city. I was like, what I call preaching the good word. Yeah. And I would get feedback all the time that you were such a powerful speaker. You were such blah, blah, blah. And Mm -hmm. they would send me on those presentations all day, every day. Right. I was shucking and jiving around the city, delivering these speeches. Oh, but my communication was an issue. And when I challenged that review and asked, okay, I'm 100% open to improving myself and improving my skills. You know, what's a communication class that you suggest? okay, we're going to look at what some other people have done. We'll get back to you. And that was my feedback for months. I even proposed a communication class that I found online that I'm like, okay, great. Like, you know, they want me to take a class. Great. I'm going to improve myself. Here's a class I can take. And they were like, well, it's too expensive for the department, but we'll find out what the other one that we've sent to some people before. Never heard back. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So what did they want to have happen then? They're upset about something. You're trying to find a solution. You're going along with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. They don't want it. They're not really on it about figuring out a solution to a problem they created. So then what happens? Everyone's just mad at you, you know, like, oh, then then they fired me. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay. I didn't expect you to say that, so hold on. Mm -hmm. Then they released me. They did not give me a reason. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And to be fair, I certainly quiet quit for a solid two, three weeks before that, where I was coming in and doing exactly what I was directed to do, but no more. Yeah. I had started there on a trajectory where I was like essentially working all day, every day, coming home, opening up my laptop, responding to calls at all hours of the day, which was part of the job. And I was really like putting more than my best foot forward. And to be doing that, like basically working your ass off all day, every day, and to come have somebody tell you like, you know, well, you're not doing enough. Well, you don't. I talked about that in one of my regular weekly sessions with my manager. And she was like, well, it sounds like you have a time management issue. Okay. I was like, really? I challenged her on that. I retorted, actually. And I was like, "Um, I don't think I have a time management issue because unless you can point to something immediate that you've asked me to do that I haven't done on time, and she didn't say anything. Right. So I think my time management is just fine. Did they pull you into a meeting for this firing? No. So what they did was my boss sent me a Zoom link for a call, like a what I thought was like a weekly one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I got on the Zoom. Generally, I was expected to be on video for all the Zooms. Mm-hmm. I got on video and my boss logged on. She was not on video and she asked me to turn my camera off and introduced me to another person there from HR mm-hmm. and then read off what I can hear from her tone and syntax is something, some little paragraph that she spackled together saying that they were terminating me. When I asked for a reason, they did not give me one. They just said that the decision is final. And I said, I understand the decision is final. I'm not challenging the decision. I want to know why. And they wouldn't give me one. So they didn't even look me in my face. And from then on, the HR woman's like, we're going to be sending you this and that and da 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 and package da 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 da. Yep. And within minutes, they cut off my access to my mm. laptop, to my work cell phone. At first, I want to say I'm really sorry for what happened to you. I appreciate that. And I I would say that I didn't feel sadness. I felt actually the more immediate feelings were rage and then relief. Mm-hmm. I was actually pretty relieved to be out by, of course, it was unexpected. And I was worried about all the things most people are worried about. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to da da da? Like, yes. But I was extremely angry about the way, like that inhumane way they did it, the way that she was so cowardly that she couldn't even face me. I was also pissed off that they got an entire day of me walking around in the rain to do these presentations, waited till like 4 p.m. But I was also relieved to not have to deal with them anymore. So what does healing from something like that look like? Because I imagine you're in the shock of it in a way, even feeling all those feelings, but your first instinct is I have to get another job. Yes, of course. Like that was immediately like, I don't have my mom anymore. My relationship with my dad is a bit complicated. Like, so there's no like sort of fallback plan. I'm, I'm not married. I'm not, you know, I don't have like the husband who's like, can hold, float me yes, for six right. months while I figure out what color is my parachute. Like, no, yeah. I didn't have those options. But you know, I knew that my mom made me kind of like a hustler. Like, you know, if I have to flip burgers at IHOP, that's fine. Like, you know, I, there's no job that's beneath me. I don't believe any of that. Mm-hmm. So yes, I did feel sort of like that pressure and that sense of urgency of like, I have to make income. Right. And they didn't give me severance Mm -hmm. after two years working there, which is great because the good thing about that is that I can open, I can speak very openly. I don't, I don't have NDA clause. I didn't sign an anti-disparagement clause. So I can talk shit about them all I want on this podcast. Right. So what I found though, when I was sort of like, oh my God, I got to make, you know, whatever was that I actually realized that I needed to take a step back. So as I was spackling together, you know, my LinkedIn and trying to like reach out to the people in my life, to my friends for support and help to figure out like what my next steps would be. 
was that I am so angry that I cannot rightfully approach any recruiter or anything like that in looking for a job. Like I'm not ready to, Mm -hmm. like I started right away. Like, you know, I'm looking for jobs, blah, blah, blah. And I realize, you know, when you do those first recruiter kind of screening calls, I'm like, Ooh, I'm not in a place where I can sell myself well right now. Yeah. It's kind of like getting out of a long-term relationship. And then you're like, yeah, I'm going on hinge. I'm going on Tinder. And then the person is talking to you and you're like, the only thing I want to talk about or think about is my ex. Right. So what happened? Yep. It was that same feeling. So I knew very quickly, like, I was like, if I want to make this job search effective, I do need to take time to heal. Like I need time to take time to like not do anything, Yeah. which was extremely difficult. I'm not good at inaction. I'm not good at like, you know, sitting still, but it was something that I had to do. I of course had the support of my therapist. Everybody go to therapy. (laughs) It's very, very important. I joined a career coaching group that I found on Instagram. It was also referred to me by my friend for BIPOC women who were either looking to exit a toxic work environment. And it also took a lot of confrontation on my part for like what had happened to me. Mm -hmm. It took, you know, talking to my career coach to learn that like, no, this really happened to you. It was good to have like that kind of support to somebody to validate your experience because I'd spent so many months kind of being like, I'm the problem. I'm the one with the communication issue. I'm the one with the blah, blah. When really it was not, you know, my therapist pointed out to me, she was like, when I told her what had happened, she was like, honestly, I think that this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. And she was like, I understand it's not going to feel like that right now. But she was like, we have been talking about this place since almost the very beginning. Like it's been a problem since the beginning. She was like, and I know that you can't, you probably can't see that now, but she's like, I've been hearing about it since almost the beginning. Yeah. And she was like, and you don't have to justify to me all the reasons why you stayed. But I was mad at myself for like, why did I stay there that long? I should have gotten out like, you know, that first three months after I heard that like comment about my email. Right. She was like, you know, Natasha, you told me all these valid justifications for why you were staying. You didn't intend on on being there forever. You wanted to like give it a fair shot. You had always kind of dreamt of working in this space. So that's the reason why. Like she was like, you had reasons why. And they're not unreasonable reasons like you know so it was it was very much that feeling of like you were gonna break up with him but you know he broke up with you first and he cheated on you so you were like oh can I really be mad when I was gonna break up with him anyway but he did cheat on me like you know (laughs) it was that sort of feeling and I really did need to take a step back and like sort of validate my PTSD and talk about like all these like little microaggressions and these little instances of like digs and digs and digs that I had really internalized. (sighs) I'm glad that you figured out that you needed to do that because I think so many people either don't figure that out or feel like they can't. I can't take the time. It's really hard. I, I am blessed to have like a very good, strong support system. Like, you know, I don't have siblings, but my friends who are also like, you know, like minded business women they were all there and rallied against me and they were very, they were championing me and they really like wanted to emphasize me doing things outside of just looking for a job. Like they knew it was at stake. Like I had a friend of mine who she was like, I have been unemployed many times. Here's what you do. You go yeah. on the unemployment website. You got to da 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 da. Like she yeah. like kept me on track. She was like, we're going to join a running group because you need a distraction. Like, well, you know, like to get your mind right. We yeah. need to do yoga. Like you, she was like, yes, you need to devote a certain amount of hours in the day towards looking for your job that is your new job but she was like you also need to like fix your mindset my career coach referred me to um a book by the author minda hearts called right within right Mm -hmm. talks about 
as you know, toxic workplaces and the effect on women of color. Mm. So I read that. So I did a lot of sort of like self-development work to try and heal, but I'm not going to act like it wasn't hard. I did a lot of like side hustles in between, but I also decided to approach this job search very intentionally. And I really didn't want to repeat this job experience. So I knew that like my next job experience can't be like the one before. It informed all the ways that I asked questions in my interviews. It changed the types of questions that I asked to really get a sense of the culture. And in the meantime, yeah, I was hustling. You know, I was hustling the way my mom taught me. Yeah. So I, you know, I worked a lot of different side hustles. I'm a professional organizer. I worked for a professional organizing company. And that was great to channel my like... (laughs) self-diagnosed OCD um, and just to like channel my creativity. And I still do those things to this day because I'm still like working through that trauma. And, you know, I really was just mad at myself for getting caught slipping. Right. What does it look like to start a new job? You're in a new job now, right? At another nonprofit (laughs) um, that sort of supports engineers. Um, And it's a different space, which I love I'm getting to learn a lot. I'm also a mediator. So I'm using a lot of my mediation skills and what I do. And I work as in ethics affairs. So I, you know, when people complain about something wrong within the organization, I have to problem solve and troubleshoot and figure out the best ways around that. And I love that. Um, I'm having to like figure out new things every day. And I love, love the organization. Like my boss is black. Her boss is black. <laughs> Um, and I'm really, I will say this, like, just because I'm talking to you, like, I am still working through many, many triggers and reminders from my last role. So like, I am being very intentional about setting boundaries around my time, Mm -hmm. and not falling back into that pattern of being like, overly responsive in the nighttime hours. I... I'm still fairly triggered <laughs> by white women, yeah. <laughs> but it does help that in my new organization that a lot of the leadership is really diverse. There's just a lot of diversity of thought, diversity in their approach, and I am also practicing intentionally being me. And it's both terrifying and extremely cathartic to be able to walk into a space and feel like I can be me. I don't have to, you know, I can use colloquialisms. I don't have to censor myself. I don't have to code switch. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not fully healed. I'm not more enlightened than anybody who's listening to this. You know, I, I recently noticed um, my manager, who's white male, uh, started scheduling weekly one-on-ones. And those kind of like sparked some terror in me mm-hmm. because yeah. it just reminded me of my last one-on-ones and you know I had to like really kind of sit back and be like okay like you know this is not you are not where you were you are not who you were back then mm-hmm. you have permission to release that memory yeah and to approach this in a different way and to look at it with through another lens do you feel like you'll ever be at a point where you have quote-unquote let it go it is no longer in your body. I think doing things like this and kind of like, you know, sharing my testimony, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. so to speak, is part of that process for me. One of the first things I learned in this experience in my life was that I am not the first or the last person who was released from a job, <laughs> like, right. you know, for a million of different reasons or no reason at all. Yeah. So I think that's part of that. I don't think I'll ever get to a place where like, I don't necessarily think about it. Mm-hmm. it definitely informs the way I look at my finances now the way I 
look at my career now. I'm definitely more active in my LinkedIn and all that good stuff and networking mm-hmm. in a way that is a lot more intentional than maybe I was doing. Yeah. I think I was just kind of like moseying through life and not really creating a career, but just kind of going from job to job. Like if a job moved me or I was, you know, if I kind of aligned with their mission, then I went for it and I was fortunate enough to get it. Yeah. You know, but I wasn't kind of like doing legwork. I was one of those people who never logged into LinkedIn until I was looking for a job. And now I'm a lot more, yeah, proactive about that. I also was somebody who never really thought about work as a career. Like I think for me, I think my my life relationships probably take priority for me mm-hmm. over like work. Like I think job is like one thing. And now I think I am looking at my work as more of a reflection of who I am. And so they need to kind of Ooh. work in symbiosis. Yeah. My work and my personal life need to like, complement each other. So I feel really blessed and lucky right now that I'm getting to share my story with you guys, that I am getting to work in a work environment that so far I really, really love and enjoy. I feel challenged. I feel like I'm valued. People want to hear what I have to say there, which is something I've never experienced in my last role. I'm glad that you have this this happy ending of sorts, (laughs) right? Like you get to experience the good things a job can offer and should offer. Yeah, I mean, I will definitely give credit to my coach, Jasmine Escalera, on that, on like not just settling for the first job offer I got, although it was extremely tempting because, you know, money was tight. (laughs) Um, Would that be the advice you would give to someone else who's been in a similar situation? Maybe they're like, leaving the, I mean, are they got uh, released? I like that term. I believe in integrity in your word. And I think the way that you speak to yourself is the way that you view yourself and that's the way you're going to be treated. So I try to kind of be intentional about my words too. And so for a while it's like fire terminated. I was like, no, I was released, but I do think that it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. They say, take man's rejection as God's protection. Yeah. And I, I truly felt that or if you're not religious, then, you know, it, you know, it's the universe's way of moving you where you need to be. I'm conflicted when I tell people to like wait on the right thing, because, you know, I don't know somebody's money situation. And Mm -hmm. it's easy to say like, yeah, it's good to wait for the right job instead of just taking any old job. But you know, I had like little side hustles in between that. So it wasn't like I was sitting at home just being like making no money. Yeah. Yeah. Like I needed to make money. And I think it's okay to get a right now job. Right. And as long as you promise yourself, you're still going to be intentional about finding the right job. That's so important. Thank you so much for sharing your story. (laughs) It's incredible. It's appalling. It's all the things. It's all of the things. Thank you for letting me share with you. And thank you for letting me be honest and vulnerable and open about it. Well, thank you so much. Big thanks to Natasha for sharing her story. If you're transitioning from a toxic work environment to a new, presumably healthier one, do take the time to heal. That can look different for different people, but acknowledging what happened, processing that pain, and making a plan for how you're gonna move in your new role is really important. And if you can afford to, take some time in between, push your start date, and take the time you need to to reboot your brain from fight or flight to safe and focused. Let's try not to take old baggage, into new opportunities. Have a great week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.